Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. So we're continuing on our uh, series in Hosea today, and we're going to be talking about fathers. Talking about fathers can be difficult. It's a painful subject for a lot of people. All earthly fathers are imperfect. I certainly am. And some are downright awful. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Mark. So others have had good fathers. I had a good father, but I've lost them. So today we'll be talking about what fatherly love looks like, but I want to recognise that that's not the experience of everybody. So returning to chapter 11, uh, and events that happened a long time ago, this is 747 before Christ, so roughly 2,770 years ago, or to put it another way, about 800 years before the Romans set foot on the UK. So, as Andrew mentioned, by the time that Hosea was born, Israel had been split into two. <laughs> so there you go, that's, that's a picture of uh, ancient Israel. You can see there's a Northern Kingdom and a Southern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom is called Israel and this Southern one is called Judah after the main tribe that lived there. Hosea lived in the Northern bit. So in terms of prosperity, Northern Kingdom was doing okay, thanks very much. In terms of security, it followed the best practices of the day, securing peace treaties with its neighbours and constructing fortifications around their cities. But they'd abandoned God. They'd put their trust in idols for their prosperity and in their fortifications for their security. They thought they didn't need God. He was for the weirdo prophets who insisted on still worshipping him and telling everyone what they should be doing. So at the start of the chapter, God presents a vivid and powerful picture of his relationship to humanity. He says he is like a father and humanity is his child. That's amazing. Not only is God the all-powerful being who created this vast universe and the microscopic world not disinterested in us, his relationship with us is as close as a father to his child. Over time, I seem to have collected lots of pieces of paper that contain squiggles like this. <laughs> I kind of hope I'm not the only one. That particular fine example is carefully stored away in a folder on my shelf in our office. As my long-suffering wife will tell you, I struggle with the notion of getting rid of them. Now, they're not clearly great works of art, so why do I keep them? Poor son in the background going red. Um, <laughs> because they were created by my son, right? That's the difference. I'm interested in every single thing he has ever done. Every single thing he has ever said. And that's the nature of God, right, towards humanity. He's not emotionally disengaged. He's a father that's interested in absolutely everything, from the little to the big. There's two important aspects of that relationship that I wanted to look at. There's more, and I'm sure you've all talked about them in your, in your tables. Um, 
But the first one is, God is a father who protects and provides. And secondly, he's a father who teaches. And those things are found in this chapter. Why do fathers do those things? Why do we provide and protect? Why do we teach? Now, I'm sure my son sometimes thinks, I hate him. <laughs> when I uh, do one of those things. Um, but it's, it's obviously not. It's because we love our children. Because I want my son to live long, healthy lives and to be the best version of himself. And that's how God is with us. That's why he wants to protect and provide. That's why he wants to teach. In fact, when my son was a toddler... <laughs> I'm so, poor Jacob, he's getting, he's getting it in the neck today. We bought him some reins. <clears throat> and if you'd known my son at the age of three or four, uh, you'd known why we'd got him those, those reins. He absolutely hated them. He really did. He wanted to go off and run on the road near to that interesting sheer drop, close to the warm open fire. He wanted to do lots of fun stuff like that, but we continued to put them on him. And we did it because we don't hate him, but because we don't want to control him, but because we love him and want the best for him. So in a similar way, when God was calling Israel in this chapter, and when he calls us to obedience, he does so in love. It also tells us that like a young child, we should be reliant on God. Just as a child looks to a good father for his provision, we should look to God for everything we need. So God is the source of all good things, like peace, friendship, and love. When we as humans choose a path away from God's way, it necessarily results in pain, loneliness, and selfishness. You see, people, the people of Israel didn't listen. They behaved like a rebellious teenager. No offence, guys. <laughs> Rather than listen to God calling out to them in love, they decided to reject his way and follow their own way. They started to put their trust in things that they could see, that they could control. To them, whether they experienced blessing became a matter of whether they had made the right sacrifice, jumped through the right hoops, and their idols let them do what they wanted to do. And there were consequences. That doesn't come to surprise to us, of course, because the fact there are consequences to our actions is a part and parcel of our everyday life. If I were to go out inside and, outside and key somebody's car, they would rightly expect me to be arrested by the police and sued by their insurance company to pay to put things right. Hosea prophesies that the consequences of Israel's rebellion will be that they will become physical slaves again. In their rebellion, the people of Israel had placed themselves under a law that was far harsher than the just and true law of God. They had already become spiritual slaves, and now the physical world was going to catch up. Just as God had redeemed them from slavery because of their faith, he would allow them to return to slavery because of their faithlessness. Since God brings freedom, it's only natural that rejection of God leads to slavery. And we know that's precisely what happened. 722 BC, 
the might of the Assyrian Empire sweeps down from the north, swallowing up the northern Israeli kingdom and takes it captive. I think it's one of the scariest things that the Bible teaches, that God doesn't prevent people from walking away from him and experiencing the consequences of doing so. You know, there was a reason, I think, why God chose Hosea for this message. You see, the name Hosea forms part of the name Yeshua, or Jesus. Just as Yeshua means God saves, so Hosea means salvation. Even before Israel was overtaken by the terrible events Hosea was warning of, Hosea was speaking of hope. In verse 8, chapter 11, God says, How can I give you up? How can I possibly destroy you? God had every reason to allow Israel to be utterly destroyed. They had chosen the path that led to that fate. But Hosea reveals that there's a conflict here between the need for justice and God's love for his people. God speaks here of his heart being torn within him. Although it's just for humanity to face the consequences of their mistakes, God as a loving father desperately, desperately, doesn't want them to. His heart is always to provide the way of escape. As a result, Hosea's warning ends with a promise that God won't allow Israel to be destroyed, despite what they've done. And with a powerful image, God roars powerfully like a lion and his sons return home. It's reminiscent of the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus would tell 800 or so years later. In that story, the father never gave up. He watched every day. The moment he got even a glimpse of his returning son, he was on his feet, running towards him. That is God's heart towards us. I always talk about my dad when I stand up here, so sorry. (laughs) But he, he was a prison chaplain, and he spoke with real guys who had done Brutal, evil things. Now, he was a man filled with love, but he used to confide in me sometimes that, as a man, he sometimes found it genuinely hard to speak of God's forgiveness and love once he'd learned what the inmate he was speaking to had done. But he would tell me, you know, Simon, God loves those people passionately. And he will forgive them. And he will change them if they choose to allow him to do so. As the verse here says, for I am God, not man. In fact, years later, some former inmates attended my dad's funeral, having had their lives changed by the power of God. There is nothing, no sin, no evil, no shame that will ever come between us and God. Although he allows us to walk away, we cannot ever go too far for there never to be way back. His father's love for us is way too strong for that. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.